Alright, here we go. Take one. <laughs> now, the pain that families face isn't something that isn't thought much about by the loved ones who abuse drugs. Those that use have lost full control of themselves, but sadly, they have full control over the emotions and behavior of those that love them. You know, parents sacrifice their time, their energy, and their existence to focus on another person and raise them to the best of their ability. Unfortunately, the person that has been focused on tends to lack any appreciation, and they feel entitled as what I define in my book as the ability to metaphorically nail the parents to a cross for an excruciating sacrifice. Not all stories end in tragedy. You know, I was able to step out, but for many years, I thought, and I'm sure my parents wouldn't have been surprised if they had to bury me. Now, I'm very excited to introduce to my listeners an amazing woman who dealt with that fear of losing her daughter. She's the author of a book that I'm going to have an opportunity to tell you about, although she'll actually have an opportunity to tell you about. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Ready to get high. And this is Eric McCoy. Welcome back to High While Clean. You know, love is a very, I guess, unique term in defining it. Is it a feeling defined as an emotional state or a reaction? Maybe an emotion as a state of mind deriving from one's circumstances or mood. Now, I want to say real quick that the problem with those are that they come and go and they change and aren't factually based. But love can't work that way. We know that the part of the brain where our emotional control is, is located within our limbic system, which is a piece of the old part of the brain. We tend to identify love most often with euphoria, but that isn't the only emotion that we feel that's tied to love. We do know that other feelings are created based on love. Ecstasy, compassion, surprise, anxiety, anger, jealousy, despair. We can fly all over the place as we swing from a high to a low, all within love. Love almost has bipolar qualities as a cyclic mood disorder. What about love being defined as a drive? There have been studies within brain scans that have shown where they believe that this motivational drive comes from. Love is a need and a drive. Like all drives, love is orchestrated within this 
reward system in the old brain where the limbic system is, but also further back in the brainstem. And this is involuntary reflexes like breathing and heart rate. The part of the brain that has no cognitive function, which may be why it's nearly impossible to control this primitive passion. Maybe this insight can actually help us understand why love gets removed from the equation when we're abusing drugs. It also can cause us to see the real correlation with the dependency on the need for love. If that part of the brain sounds familiar, it's because it should be, and I've talked about it many times. The primitive and old part of the brain is where drugs and alcohol and all behavioral addictions have their effect. If drugs hijack that part of the brain, that drug almost seems to become love. And since our brain has limits, love for others may get tossed aside. Think about that. Now, my guest today, I believe, brings love. Her name is Christine Nauman. She's the author of many different books, Faces of Hope, Babies Born on 9-11, Faces of Hope 10 Years Later, Faces of Hope at 18, Caterpillar Kisses, Christmas Lights, The Novena, and The Believers. She then took her abilities as an author to write a book about her struggles in dealing with a daughter who abused drugs. And the book is called About Natalie, A Daughter's Addiction, A Mother's Love, Finding Their Way Back to Each Other. Now, I've had, I have had the opportunity to take a look at the book. And it's good. Natalie, her daughter, and what I really liked is she actually wrote poems that are included in the book, which is really cool. And if any of you guys have seen my book, I actually start every chapter with a poem. Christine, I want to thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Now, obviously, you were an author prior to this book, and you have obviously written um, a lot of other books. But I have a real quick question for you. One of them being the Novena. Uh-huh. Right? Are you Catholic? I am. Okay. Because it is, you know, a, kind of a devotion of consisting of nine separate days of prayers or services. Right. Now, many families are embarrassed by having a child being addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And this is what I really appreciate about you. And I really like this because you've come forward and you have shared your experience. When did you make this decision? I decided to write about, I mean, I always thought that I would write about Natalie. And, um, but I always thought that I would um, wait until I had a happy ending. I always thought, you know, I'm not going to start at the beginning of the book until I know the end of the story. And when we have our happy ending, you know, I'm going to go out there and do it. And um, I rethought that because I felt so many things, so much shame, so much, so much embarrassment, so many feelings of isolation. And I was really struggling with those. And all of my writing is, comes from a very deep, heartfelt place. And I thought, you know, what am I doing waiting for a happy ending? Maybe I can reach out to the people that are exactly where I am. They're, they don't have their happy ending and they're struggling and they're having all the emotions that I am having. 
So um, I decided with Natalie's permission that day, I thought, you know, well, let me let me just start and see how this how this goes. So um, it was several years ago and we were in the midst of all of it. And that's when I started to write about Natalie. I included a an entire chapter in the book I wrote, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success, two families. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I've worked with families a lot over the years. I do work in the substance abuse field. And I found that, you know, whether somebody loses a family member as a result of an overdose or dying and actually having to bury them, or on the flip side of just not knowing where they are, right. it's all the same. And you still have those same feelings, except hope. Mm -hmm. You have hope if obviously you haven't got the news that they passed away. Right. What was her thoughts on you writing this book? Um, Well, you know what? I'm, I'm grateful to Natalie because she was, um, she was all for it. You know, she respected that I had um, my vantage point. And originally we started, I said, let's write this book together. I said, let's, you know, let's write a book together. And I said, I'll write a chapter, you write a chapter. And, you know, that's kind of how we'll do it. And for a minute, we kind of decided to, we tried that. And then um, it it wasn't working out. And she said, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And I thought, okay, you know, that's, that's all right. You know, I'll, I'll carry it on. And then she surprised me. She said, you know, she said, I can give you some poetry. And um, to prove that you never really know your child, I said poetry. I didn't know you were a poet. And she said, oh, I can do poetry. And I thought, okay, if you think you can. And um, then she, um, I mean, you could have knocked me over because I think her poetry is absolutely brilliant and it's raw and it's real and it's just authentic. And I, it just makes, uh, I think it makes a good book so much better. with uh, what she has written. She definitely outshines me. Yeah, that really shows too how, again, drug abusers are not stupid people. Exactly. One of the things that we do gain out there in in doing what we do is a lot of creativity. You have to have that. Yes. You know, if we took the negative and we flipped it to a positive, you know, obviously the negative being we're very creative and making, you know, we can figure out ways to get money to make sure that we get the drugs. Um, and do everything that we need to, to do that. But once we get clean and sober, maybe we can flip that creativity into something positive, which is exactly what she did. Yes. How many times has she been in rehab? Well, she has been in outpatient rehab probably more times than I can count. Maybe yeah, I mean, more times than I can count. We, we did lots of outpatient rehab. She has been in inpatient rehab, I'm going to say four times with varying degrees of success, I guess. One question that I do, and I was really thinking about this, where do you cross the line between helping and enabling? Um, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to go ahead and, and be honest. I think I'm all, I think I'm way across the line. I think, I think I enable I, I do. I mean, I, I don't mean to. I try not to. Um, I think I know what enabling is, and I think I'm not doing it until somebody reminds me that that's enabling. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing it again. Um, I think um, in my own defense, I think it's natural for mothers to enable. And I think it's natural for people who love that addict to do that. So um, I try not to, um, but I um, I don't always succeed. 
Yeah, that that kind of goes back to why I was, you know, kind of starting this whole thing on love. You know, love is one of the most powerful, I think, emotion or you know drives that we ultimately have, and uh, and it is something that I think that's not doesn't even really sit on a cognitive level. Mm-hmm. Not thinking about right. it and enabling is again, I've worked with a lot of people over the years that enabling can be dangerous. For um, sure. You know, it, it, uh, I, I've told families before that you're killing your kid, mm-hmm. you know, by continuing that, that process and stuff. Now you obviously in your case so far, it has actually worked. It's, it's been, she's got a couple of years now. And, and I wanted to mention again, I sort of said this before, but I did have an opportunity to speak to your daughter, mm-hmm. um, which was an amazing conversation that we had. And, uh, and I kind of learned a lot from her, you know, through that, through that conversation um, that we had had. And um, she seems like a great woman. Oh, she is. She is. And that's part of the reason I wrote the book. Yeah, and she's got two years now, right? She does. She does, which is, you know, yay, Natalie. That's amazing. Yeah. So despite your enabling, she got. Yeah, (laughs) in spite of me. (laughs) Uh, Did she go through a residential last time or was it still just an outpatient or? Residential. She did. Okay. And that was the first residential? No, she's been in, um, uh, probably, I guess, probably three times, three or four times. You're an enabler. (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) that's the thing though i mean like it you know we never know where the end's gonna go that's the the scary or the the you know the uncertainty behind it Mm -hmm. you made decisions that you know a lot of people would define as enabling and um and it did pan out for you um then of course you have other people that it doesn't pan out for right and i've you know i've seen both And, um, I think you just, I mean, I don't just do what you can live with, um, because I've seen, I mean, we have watched like the ultimate tough love work and then we have stood at caskets at funeral homes where it didn't. So, um, no answers here for me. That's for sure. Yeah. Now she said something that really got me interested. Uh-huh. And I don't know if she's talked to you about this, but I actually even talked to her a little bit about com- her coming on my show. Uh-huh. Um, and it has to do with methadone, right? Um, harm reduction. Now, for all of my listeners out there, and I know you haven't heard any of my podcasts yet, but I'm a firm believer in harm reduction. Uh-huh. Um, and it always discourages me as you know, I, I see a lot of people in the recovery world that aren't, you know, and, um, you know, they tell people that, oh, if you're on methadone, you're not really clean, you know? Um, and I, I can't personally stand that because it's not really my place to say, Uh you know, I mean, you know, why, why would I say that? No, don't do this. If it's working, do it. I mean, that's the, that's my, my premise on the thing, you know? Right. Um, and so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I can tell you that our original thoughts, my husband and I, original thoughts were um, uh, no, no methadone, you know, no, clean is clean is clean, and you need to be clean. And that means off of everything and done deal. And um, Natalie was the one who said, I think this is my path. I think this is my way out of this nightmare. And um, we supported her 
but we didn't agree with her. Um, we supported her because we didn't know what else to do and nothing else was working, but she really, I mean, she knew herself and, um, she, she did a lot of the legwork. I mean, she, she got herself into the clinic. She got herself through the process and, um, and she was right. It, it works for her. Why do you think she started drugs? You know what? I think there were, I mean, there were so many reasons. I mean, I think she, she has a very, um, I mean, just, I mean, I don't know if this sounds silly or not. She has a curious personality. I mean, she just has that little bit of that, of that curious personality. She's um, very, um, uh, she's always looking for the next challenge. She's always looking for the next. I mean, she never had a lot of, she didn't have a, an appropriate amount of fear of like anything. Um, but I believe that there were things that I didn't, didn't see. I mean, I think she's always, struggled with some anxieties and some depressions. And I think that she experienced uh, a lot of bullying and some low self-esteem and not really fitting in types of things. And um, I think, I mean, they're, they're so, even though they're so young, I think they realize that people do self-medicate and pills and things like that. And I think in a lot of ways, I think she started off trying to make herself feel better. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of people get into drugs as a self-medicating. I want to, if I, if I get her on my show, I want to ask her that same question too. We'll see, we'll see how uh, similar the answer is. Yes. Because, yes. you know, sometimes the parents will define it as, you know, like peer pressure or certain uh -huh. things. Then you got the kids that are going to define it. I just want to have fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. But right. she may actually be at a place to where, um, you know, she can define a little bit more. Uh, right. You know, if you ask like a 17 or a 16 year old, that's typically what they'll say, but she's 20. How old is she? Four. 24. 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the younger you are, the more difficult it is to get clean and to stay clean. And so, I mean, even with her, you know, going to the multiple different rehabs, and I'm not sure what the, how, you know, the youngest she was when she did it, mm -hmm. it is difficult, you know, because right. you're, you're invincible, you know, everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You can't tell me anything, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, and to have us I mean, me particularly so um, in the dark with so much of it. Um, I was not a messenger. I could not be a messenger for Natalie because it was, I mean, she would say, well, what do you know? And I really didn't have an answer for that because what did I know? And I, I didn't know. So did you ever get into, into drugs when you were younger? I didn't. I didn't. Never, never tried any of them or. No. Well, you're one of those unique people. A lot of people, a lot of people try, but then they, they stop the, and uh -huh. that, and that actually goes to the question of, you know, for the people that do, and they are able to stop, why were they able to stop? Why was, why do the, some of the people get addicted and are unable to, and other uh -huh. people are not able to. Um, and again, there's a lot of theories behind that. When was it that you were able to identify that she was on drugs? Well, what happened that you were able to see? Well, it? I mean, she started, um, taking pills out of her grandparents' medicine cabinet when she was 12. Now, I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, I should have known that was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. And I think she did that for quite some time. Um, but the big, 
I mean, I did what a lot of people do. Um, I ignored and I, I, I mean, there were, there were signs and signs and signs, but the, the, the big moment was when um, I got a call from the school that said, you know, she's in trouble and she's in significant trouble. And I mean, I had, she was in her first year of high school. I had never been called from the school in all those years. And I mean, never once. And I was, you know, went flying up there and they said she was caught with heroin. And, um, that was, um, that was the, you know, the, the, the moment where it was there, um, you know, that we had to face it, but then, you know, I, I'd love to say, oh, from that moment on, we, we faced it and we, you know, but I did, um, what I think a lot of people do. I just went rushing towards denial. I mean, you know, I just, just embraced denial for all it was worth. And oh my, no, um, you know, they're, they're wrong. They're making a big deal out of nothing. Oh, it wasn't hers. Oh, um, I mean, I went everywhere and I, I hung on to that for a while, but, uh, shortly after that, um, you know, kind of broke the news to myself and with my husband's help saying, you know, no, it's, it's her. And, this is where we are. Yeah. I'm wondering if you kind of went through all those stages of grief and loss, you know, the, Absolutely. the <laughs> denial, the anger, the bargaining. Oh the yeah. Depression. And now uh, you're at that stage of acceptance though. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously if you don't get there, you're never going to get anywhere, but um, no, but I embraced all the stages. I mean, I just went through, I went through everyone and um, they, but they got me to where I needed to be, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's the uh, the grief and loss of of the lack of of her innocence. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but she's healthy, so she came out with it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, she's healthy. And she didn't obviously run into everything that we're seeing today with uh, fentanyl being cut. With uh, did she have an overdose or? She's had a couple, she's had a couple overdoses or she had a couple overdoses in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, she, um, she did, um, fentanyl was one of her, her drugs of choice. So, um, I mean, it's, I mean, truly she's lucky to be alive. I think she, uh, she, uh, she just did, um, just so many risky things and, um, she's, she's lucky to, for the moment, be on the other side of it. Yeah, she's uh, she's a miracle, you know. Mm-hmm. Like all of us that sort of get through it, you know, we're um, survivors. Yes, we all kind of fall into that category of survivors. You're a survivor too, you know, having to have gone through that, you know, and the trauma and the, you know, the uh, the worries and the depression and the mm-hmm. oh my god, what's going to happen to her? Where's she going to be? Am I going to have to bury her? Right. And that's scary. Yeah. Uh, but here you are today. <laughs> what was the, what was the clear reason you wrote the book? Oh, a couple reasons. Um, I mean, I really wanted, um, I knew all that I felt like, you know, you said the, the shame, the embarrassment, the isolation, all of that. I wanted to see if I could reach out to other parents and say, you know what, you're, you're not alone. I mean, I, I unfortunately you're not alone, but you've, you're in, you have too much company in this and maybe, you know, you don't have to be 
so shamed and so embarrassed and it happens and it happens to everybody you know um it's not just you know something that happens to bad people and you know i mean it doesn't all make sense and also um the stigma attached to what um people who are suffering from addiction are um i always say to everybody when they hear natalie's resume you know where she's been and what she's done and her and, and i'll say but you know what if she were sitting right here, you'd like her. And I think sometimes that's missed. I think people do have that stereotypical idea. And, you know, I wanted people to know that, you know, addicts are valuable, cherished people. They are loved ones. They are, you know, sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and then the little boy next door and the little girl in the church and all of that. And I just know the amazing person that Natalie is. So I wanted to present her to the world and say, look at all her wonderfulness. And yes, she's an addict too. And I wanted people to realize that um, probably what you're thinking is not what it is. And thank you for doing that because uh, this is one of the things that I'm always presenting out there is that if, you know, if people that you know, are abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, have, have kind of walked over that path that they get out there and they'd raise their hand and say, Hey, I had a problem. This is me today. You know, I think mm -hmm. people would realize the numbers are a lot bigger than, than we're aware of, Right. you know, and, uh, you know, and, and I do believe that we're at a point or we're about to be at a point where it's going to affect every single person, whether it be the person abusing drugs or the families. Right. that are having to deal with this or the friends that are having to deal with this. And so the more that we can all stand up and I agree that, you know, drug addicts are not bad people, you uh -huh. know, I mean, you have your exceptions out there sure. you know, that kind of go a little crazy, but, um, but they're not typically bad people. They get clean and sober. We have to separate the difference between the behaviors and who the person actually is. Absolutely. And, uh, and just like I said, you know, I've spoken to your daughter and she seems like a beautiful woman, you know, that has a, a, you know, a fantastic heart, cares, loves her mother to death. And, you know, and I think that her motivation, I think, you know, is I think in the right place to a certain extent, you know, as she's has goals, you know, she has, right. she's moving towards she's a, what is she doing right now? Um, she is getting ready to go back to community college. Um, she would like to study education. Um, I think she's toying between, um, funny, she's toying between um, kind of preschool kindergarten-ish type things. And then on the other hand, she thinks that maybe um, after a little bit of time passes, she'd like to help people like herself. Fantastic. We can use her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that motivation, and I've talked about this many times, you know, the motivation, I love my mother, that's a temporary motivation, you know, uh -huh. um, because, you know, we can't base things off of other people. But, you know, when we're able to have those goals, have those dreams, have those vision, this is where I'm going. I'm, I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for what I want right. versus what others want for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think she is sitting in the right direction, you know? Right. And that's the only reason she's in this place that she is because I mean, I, 
obviously I wanted it, you know, uh, long before she did. And um, that was, you know, I just kept trying to stuff it down her throat. And, you know, I did all the things that, you know, moms do, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. I mean, I cried, I screamed, I begged, I pleaded, I threatened. None of it worked. And it was until she said, you know what, I, you know, I mean, and I tried, I mean, I, I remember want it for me, you know, but that they don't want it for, you know, that's not how it works. Yeah. And kind of, you know, going back to the younger, the people are when they're still having fun, that's when it's hard. Right. You know, when they, when they define it as I'm still having fun, Mm -hmm. once it no longer becomes fun, you Mm -hmm. know, sadly, that's when people are really dependent and they're really hooked on it. Um, and so it is harder to get off of, but at the same time, you know, sometimes that's when they realize that, well, this is the wrong path for me. Exactly. Exactly. So she obviously hit that point, which is yeah. good. <laughs> thank God. Thank, thank God. It didn't, uh, I often worried that it was going to be too late. Yeah. Now methadone is, um, you know, is one of the most controversial, obviously with a lot of people, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is very difficult to get off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, with, with a lot of people or some people, you know, that get on maintenance programs, harm reduction type stuff, some of them do reach a place to where, okay, I do want to eventually get off this stuff, you know, right. Methadone is one of the harder ones to get off of. Um, withdrawal is long, but yeah, I'm glad that, that she is where she is. I mean, that's fantastic that she's got two years, um, you know, and I personally, if she doesn't abuse it, she mm-hmm. takes it as she's supposed to, then mm-hmm. she's in that realm of recovery. Right. You know? Right. Um, and to me, that's important. The sad part is 12 step programs don't embrace it. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And so I don't know. Does she, what does she do? Do you know what she does for her recovery? I, I, I don't occasionally meetings. Um, she does see private therapists and doctors. Um, but, um, that's kind of her story to tell. And and she's kind of in charge of, uh, she's, she's more in charge of that than I am. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, you know, and to me, again, if, if, as long as we are doing things to improve ourselves, and that's sort of the way I see it, then, then that is recovery. And that's what she's in. She's in a recovery mode and a recovery process. And so, um, I really do wish that people would sort of break away from that hatred towards that and that stigma behind that. Um, because, and it is sad with the 12 step program. I mean, realistically, you know, uh, and, and again, I, you know, and I've talked about many times, I don't do the 12 step myself, um, Mm -hmm. but I have my own recovery that I do. And, uh, but you know, the 12 step program is by far the best self-help program out there. And it really sucks you know, that they don't, they don't really, you know, embrace that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Smart recovery is a different story. I don't know if you know anything about smart recovery, um, but that's also a self-help. There's the drawback behind that. There's not as many meetings. (laughs) It's a little, a little harder to find. They have a lot of online stuff. I am, I love the, the concepts it's based on Albert Ellis's rationally motivated behavioral therapy, which is, you know, the form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And it's done as a self-help kind of mm-hmm. model. Um, and it's, I think it's great personally. And there, I know a lot of people that embrace that. Um, 
and they're not ones that are going to have a hatred for what she's doing. Okay. Um, because they're more just about, um, you know, let's improve ourselves. Let's better ourselves. It's not a higher powered program like the 12 uh -huh. program. Um, and you know, they kind of believe God makes those that make themselves. So they don't dispute God, but they, you know, just, uh, right. um, so yeah, I mean, that's just an alternative of something she could look at, but right. you know, if she, if she's in therapy, um, is, you know, I believe that the things that people get from the 12 step program are a self as a support system. And so hopefully she has that. Uh -huh. um, you know, spirituality. And so hopefully she has some sense of, you know, improving upon yourself, but you know, you can find those outside the 12 step program. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so what are your, what are your uh, hopes for her? Oh gosh. Um, my hopes for her um, are obviously, you know, health, um, but the specifics I am trying to um, leave, my hopes are for her or whatever her hopes for her are. And I just want her to find a healthy path and just go after it because she's, I mean, I know I'm biased, but she's an amazing, she's an amazing girl. And she just has so many gifts and so much that she could offer to so many people. Um, I definitely want her to go into something with people because um, that's her strength. Thank you for saying that, because that is part of when we look at what a healthy family is, is a family that says, you know what, I hope you find your happiness. I hope you find whatever it is that, that you um, that you enjoy and you that you embrace, um, because sadly, again, there are a lot of families out there that sort of push people to do what they want them to do. And right. yeah. you're, you're definitely in, in the healthier line of um you know, allowing them to be an individual and choose uh -huh. for themselves. And so I think that is very, very powerful. Um, so I want to ask you, as I always like to ask everybody, um, is there something that I haven't brought up that you want to talk about real quick? Oh, um, that's a tough one. No, not really. I think we've covered so much. I, um, no, just, um, I, uh, I hope people take the, uh, the intention of the book for what, it, for what it was, you know, a hug and a little bit of, um, a little bit of understanding and compassion and encouragement, right? Oh, absolutely. And if you were to say something to the people out there that are struggling, uh -huh. uh, what would you tell them? Recovery is possible. Just, um, just keep on, um, keep on working at it and find your, um, find your path, find your healthy path. And I, I do think that as much as it's, um, I mean, there are certain, certain processes that may, may lead you there. I think that it's, it's individual. And, um, I think that you, you know, I think you can find your way if you, if you really, really, um, look for it enough. And I want to say this again, and I, I, I've said this a couple of times, but you know, for people out there that are struggling and I know you don't hear this very often, I love you. Absolutely. And, Good for you. And that's something that obviously they don't hear very much probably. Right. Yeah. I think but you're right. There are people out there that are trying to fight for you, you know, uh -huh. and, um, and you're one of those. Thank um, you. So why don't you uh, give uh, people the information? Where can they get your book? 
Okay. Or maybe contact you if they need to. Yeah. Um, About Natalie can be um, found anywhere books are sold, Amazon and other otherwise. Um, best way to reach me would be christinenaman.com or about Natalie addictioncomfort.com. Um, it's a website I have put up where people can um, reach out to me or just kind of kind of as a forum to say what they'd like to say. I would love to hear from people. I would love to hear, um, you know, their stories. And um, uh, if they reach, to, reach out to me, I'll reach back, I promise. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning into another episode of High Wall Clean. As I always like to say, keep getting high, but let's do it clean. Thanks. Thanks.